Amen, church. It's been just an awesome day already, just to get to celebrate who God is, what He has done, to see life change, just testimony in the baptistry, and be able to celebrate that, to sing these songs to the truth that we can have life because God raised Christ from the dead, and death has been defeated, and that's where we're going this morning. We just continue in the rejoice and celebration of that, as we're going to be looking at Ezekiel chapter 37. So if you have a Bible with you, I just ask you to go ahead and open that up and turn to Ezekiel 37. If you don't have a Bible, there's one in the pew in front of you, and we invite you to take that. You can keep it. It's our gift to you. Uh, We want everyone in our church family to be able to have a copy of God's Word. It's the most dear thing that we can have as Jesus followers here on this earth is the living, breathing Word of God. It's our hope for life. It's our direction for how we live. And so you can go ahead and turn there. And this passage that we're going to be looking at today is just a beautiful, beautiful promise and picture of what God is at work doing in the nation of Israel in this time period and context, but also in the lives of the church and in his people, what he has done for us, what he is doing in and through us that we could celebrate. Um, And it's hard sometimes walking through the prophets. Let's be honest, I'm a pastor, and it gets old, some of these passages you read through, and it's like, curse, 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 and woe is me, and it's just weird and hard to understand, and we go through Ezekiel, and now we're heading into the minor prophets. There's a lot of that, and kind of apocalyptic literature um, that's even quoted in Revelation. If you think Revelation's hard to understand, Revelation is quoting Ezekiel and Daniel, you know, so it makes it even harder to understand. But in the darkness and confusion, there are some passages that just stand out. And this is one of those. Now, the rose among the thorns, where there's all of this um, pronouncement of judgment, pronouncement of sin, and turn from sin. There's this beautiful picture of hope that God is at work in the nation of Israel in this time period that spills out to us today. And we get to celebrate that together. So Ezekiel 37, before we read it, I just want to pray for us again. And I want to ask you to pray with me. Uh, Just to pray for yourself. Pray for your own soul. You come in knowing the burdens you're carrying. You know uh, what God's doing in your life or what you need Him to do. I pray that you just ask that God would speak to you through the Holy Spirit today. Now I want to ask you to pray for that for your brothers and sisters. One of the ways that we worship is through prayer. And we get the privilege and the responsibility of getting to pray for one another. And we're, we live in a very individualistic society and culture that's very me-centered. And so as we come to the God's Word in the text, I love us just to kind of even pull back from everything that's happening in our lives, to think about the person to your right or your left, and even in this moment, just to pray for them. You don't have to do it out loud, and that might be kind of weird, but just right there, just to pray over them in your seat. So as I pray, would you join me in praying for one another? Father, we come to you. We praise you, the King, this morning. You're alive, defeated death. You're risen. We thank you for that, God. Father, we thank you for your word, and we pray, Father, I pray your word. It says, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. And so we just pray that this morning, that your word would not return void, that it would accomplish what you've sent it out to do, even in this room, in this period of time, in our lives. What we are not, we ask you to make us. What we have not, we ask that you give us. We need you. In your name we pray. Amen. 
Ezekiel 37, we're going to start in verse 1 together. The hand of the Lord was upon me, Ezekiel, and he brought me out in the Spirit of the Lord. That's a good phrase to circle or highlight. In fact, you're going to see that word spirit or breath all throughout this passage. It's one of the most important parts of this section. It's over eight times here. These words, spirit, breath, wind, it's all the same root word. And set me down in the middle of the valley. It doesn't tell us what the valley is, but the understanding is that the people who would be hearing this would know what valley we're talking about. That something happened in this valley that's going to call to mind uh, what, what actually took place there. And it was full of bones. And he led me around and among them. And behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley. And behold, they were very dry. So just imagine a valley full of bones, as far as the eye can see. The more you walk, the more you see. And they're dry. What's that mean? It means that they've been in the sun a long time, that they've been dead for a long time. Verse 3, And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? And this is one of the few things that Ezekiel actually says in this passage. O Lord God, you know. Then he said to me, prophesy over these bones. Say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter you, and you shall live. And I will lay sinews upon you, and cause flesh to come upon you, to cover you with skin, and put breath, there it is again, in you. And you shall live, and you shall know that I am the Lord." So I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I prophesied, there was a sound, and behold, a rattling. And the bones came together, bone to its bone, and I looked, and behold, there were sinews on them, and flesh had come upon them, and skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, against another word for breath, O breath. And breathe on these slain that you may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. What do these things mean? Verse 11 tells us what this vision is talking about. Then he said to me, O son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Again, this is an interesting phrase because we know at this point Israel is not one house. It's a house divided. It's Judea and it is Israel. And they've both been carried off. And so for the first time, God is addressing his people not as two separate entities, but as one. Something new is happening in the scope of redemptive history. Behold, they say, our bones are dried up. Our hope, it's lost. We are indeed cut off. Verse 12, therefore prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will open your graves, and I will raise you from your graves, O my people. I will bring you into the land of Israel, and you shall know that I am the Lord. When I open your graves, when I raise you from your graves, O my people, and I will put my spirit within you, and you shall live. And I will place you in your own land. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. I have spoken. I will do it, declares the Lord. Amen. This is a beautiful picture of what God is doing in Israel, what God has done for us. 
Four years ago, my wife and I, we moved from Raleigh, North Carolina here uh, to come be part of this church family. And it was just an awesome privilege to get to come back to our home and get to serve the church here. Um, And this was the first point in our marriage that I had not been in school. We got married when I was in college, ETSU, and moved to seminary and been in school there. So there was five years, the first five years of our marriage, we were in school. Another way of saying that is for the first five years of our marriage, we were extremely poor. Okay, that was just the reality. For those of you who are in school or been in school, you remember those days? Ramen noodles, you know, toast and Cheerios, you know, or, you know, whatever's crawling in the cupboard, you know, all that kind of stuff. You just do the best you can in those days. And so... One of the byproducts of being poor is you don't really have a lot of insurance. Or if you do have insurance, you know, it's just kind of like if everything possible goes wrong, you know, to kind of help see you through to the end kind of deal. So that's what we had. So when we came here, got to come on staff. One of the blessings of being part of this church family was uh, we had an insurance plan, you know. And so my wife did what good wives do, I guess. She said, you should go get a physical. And I said, no. <laughs> I don't want to do that because it's not fun for anyone. But, you know, I gave in, went, did it, got to know my doctor a lot more personally than I ever want to know any person and got poked and prodded and asked to cough when I didn't need to cough and all that kind of stuff is happening. So at the end of this process, and I'm an introvert, don't like any of it, but especially, yeah, anyway, so we get to the end and they draw blood. And if you know anything about me, I don't, don't like nastiness. I don't like bodily fluids. I don't like blood. God put my blood in my veins for a reason. I don't give blood, not because I'm selfish, but because I am, and I don't, you know, I just don't want to see it. I just figure it's there for a reason. So that's just the kind of person that I am, and so, but you have to do that, and so I did that, but this was different. I've done those kind of things before, but instead of laying me down and taking my blood, there was a lady, the nurse, and then some sort of prodigy from ETSU who was experimenting on people, and I got to be one of the experiments she was going to work on. And instead of laying me down, they sat me just in one of the normal chairs. And so I have to be the tough, masculine kind of guy, you know, so I'm not going to say anything about it. But they are drawing my blood, and I'm not feeling too good this whole time, but again, you got to save face, you're a dude, that kind of thing. And so they finish doing their deal, and they go to the other side of the room. And all I can remember is the older lady speaking to the younger lady, and I do remember these words. You want to make sure you stay close to the patient, just in case they happen to pass out after having drawn blood. That's all I remember. Next thing I know, my head is between the legs of a different doctor, and there's like three nurses around me, and they're trying to shove chocolate down my throat and pour water on me, and get me to breathe, and all this kind of stuff, and when I got home, I had a bruise on my face, I guess, where I fell off face first into the floor, and so I get home, and Katie's like, what happened to you? Like, I'm worse off coming from the doctor than when I went to the doctor. It's like, this is what happens when you make me go to the doctor. Don't ever make me go again. Well, when we got the blood test back, one of the things we found out is my cholesterol is a little high. Um, and so, you know, the doctor said, okay, exercise, eat a little better, that kind of thing. What if when I had gotten my results back, what if the doctor had called me and said, hey, we did your blood work and we found you've got some major issues. You've got liver failure. We've got to do something. There's got to be a transplant right away. If you don't, you're going to die. What if in that moment of finding out that while everything seems good on the outside or okay, or maybe there's some things that need to be adjusted, but inside I'm dying, I look back at the doctor and say, I don't really like the sound of that. I think what I'll do is 
you know, I kind of want to get a little bit more buff and, you know, that kind of stuff. So I'll just work out, eat better, and hopefully that'll fix both issues. That would be extremely foolish, right? To try to go make my outward appearance look better while I'm dying on the inside. And as we come into this passage, this is the nation of Israel. And this is us. Chapters 1 through 36, Israel's looking at all their problems, and they are problems, but their enemies are coming, the temple's being destroyed, they're impoverished, all these things are happening, but their, their issues and their deepest problems are not what's happening around them. It's not their physical circumstance. Chapters 1 through 36, God's continually to go through Ezekiel to the people to say, you have a heart problem. You have a sin problem. You've turned away from me. You've worshipped false gods. And all of these pictures that you're a vine that's not bearing any fruit and you're just there but you're dying from the inside out. Or you're like a prostitute, but not just like any kind of prostitute, a prostitute that pays other people for prostitution. And all of these pictures, these of reality of where they are and their sin, their need to turn to follow God. And so this is where we come in at chapter 37 and verse 1. God's people have been carried off in the exile because of their sin. And it's deep darkness. And so there's a couple sections within this passage. And the first one is this. We see the need for a rescuer. The need for a rescuer. Just like I would have a need for someone to come in, a doctor to come and rescue me. For my condition, we see the need of a rescuer in the nation of Israel. You see it in verse 1. The hand of the Lord is upon me, brought me in the spirit of the Lord, set me in the middle of this valley. It was full of bones. What do bones represent? They represent death, decay. This picture, this vision, is a picture of the inward reality of the Israelites' soul. It's not their enemies that have taken the captivity. It's their heart that's taken the captivity. And the same is true for us, friends. And so in this picture, we see some truths about sin. The first is this, is that sin, it makes us dead. Sin makes us dead. Sin is not just bad things we do. Sin is not just mistakes we make here and there. Sin makes us dead from the inside out. It produces death within us. And this is the picture here. It's not just a physical picture, but it's a spiritual picture. Why? Because in verse 11, it says that this picture is regarding the whole house of Israel. Now, has the whole house of Israel been slain? No. And so the picture here is about something happening within the house of Israel, in their heart. And it's that sin is making them dead, just like these bones are dry and they have no life in them. The children of Israel have turned from the giver of life and have given themselves over into death, which is sin. And sin, church, it makes us dead. And we all feel the effects of that within us. Not only does sin make us dead, but we see that sin reveals that our greatest problems are not outside of us, but within us. Just like the Israelites, their greatest problems were not the Babylonians or the Assyrians or the Chaldeans or the Egyptians or the temples falling apart. The greatest problem was their idolatry. They'd chosen to worship other gods than the Lord. They were leaning into other people to rescue them instead of the one true God who had set them apart. This is the same for us. Your greatest problem today, my greatest problem today is not my marriage or your marriage. 
not your job or lack of job. It's not your teacher or your homework. It's not your coach. It's not your children. It's not your career advancement or lack thereof. Your greatest problem, my greatest problem, is a sin problem. For all of us. And just like in this picture, God puts bone to bone and flesh and sinews, skin, that says there's no breath. Outside they look restored, but on the inside they're still dead. We need someone to raise us to life. Your spouse can't do it. Your job can't do it. Your career can't do it. Your hope for your kids one day and their career, it won't do it. You can't be good enough or religious enough to do it. There's only one person that can raise the dead to life, and that is God himself. We need him today. But not only do we see that, we see that sin kills our joy and it steals our hope. In verse 11, it says this, Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, God is quoting the people of Israel. And this is what they're saying. Our bones are dried up, and our hope is lost. We indeed have been cut off. God is done with us. Severed. Our relationship with him is gone. For some of you, you enter today and hope is lost. Joy, it seems, is gone. On the outside, maybe you smile, maybe you walk in these halls, say, I'm doing great, how are you? Praise the Lord. But on the inside, there's no hope. You just feel dry and decay. This is what sin does to us. It's what brokenness and the cause of sin does throughout the world. It's what it does to our hearts. So we see within this passage the need for the rescuer. But it doesn't end there, thankfully. This passage is a picture of what God is doing. So the second kind of section within this passage is we see the hope of resuscitation. That there's a hope for resuscitation that these dead beings can come to life. And it begins in verse 1. In the moment that's bleakest, hope is on the scene. Look at what I mean in verse 1. The hand of the Lord is upon me, and he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of the valley full of bones. In the middle of this death, in the middle of this decay, who is taking Ezekiel to the valley? God is. God is on the move. God is acting for his glory. When I say acting, I'm not talking like putting on a play or putting on a show, but God is working for his glory. And that is good news for us today. When hope seems to be lost, when joy seems to be gone, when circumstances are beyond our control, you can know and I can know because God's word is sure and his promises never fail that God is at work for his glory. And when he's at work for his glory, he's at work for the good of his people, even when we don't understand it, even when we can't see it. That was kind of the point of last week when Pastor Derek and Pastor Mike walked through Ezekiel as the book is that God is for God. And if God is for God, the greatest thing that we can be with our lives is for God. He is working. He is good. And the moments are distressed. He is moving. And so I was thinking about this passage in this verse, it reminded me of C.S. Lewis and the book um, The Chronicles of Narnia. And there, 
um, within the line, the witch in the wardrobe. If you've read the story, if you haven't, you should. It's awesome. It's this picture of the gospel all through it. Aslan represents Christ. He represents God. These children are in the midst of this darkness where there's this witch who rules over the land. And it's the same kind of thing. There's just death and despair. And all of a sudden, these words emerge. They say that Aslan is on the move. And now a very curious thing happened. None of the children knew who Aslan was any more than you or I do. But the moment the beaver had spoken the words, everyone felt quite different. Perhaps it was like sometimes happened to you in a dream that someone would say something that you don't understand. But in the dream, it feels that something had enormous meaning. Like a lovely meaning, too lovely to put into words, which makes the dream so beautiful that you remember it all your life and are always wishing you could get back into that dream again. It was like that now. At the name of Aslan, each one of the children felt something jump inside. That's what this text is meant to do. That after all the gloom and all the doom and all the uncertainty and all the judgment, God is working. God picks Ezekiel up and takes him to the valley, the valley of defeat, the valley where Israel's lost. God is standing there. In verse 6, you shall know these things. Why? For I am the Lord. Verse 13 and 14, I am the Lord. You shall know this. You shall know that I am the Lord. I have spoken. I will do it. Chapter 36 uh, says the same thing. It's not for your sake, but for the sake of my name, I'll do this. God is acting for God. And for some of you, you come in this morning and you're hurting and confused and you don't know what to do and you're in need of hope. And I just want to tell you this morning, God is on the move. God is not dead. He is not gone. He's at working. He's alive. And he's alive in the darkest of situations. In the darkest night, he is there. And we can trust him. We can lean into him. But not only do we see that God is acting for his glory when life and when everything is deep darkness, the next thing we see is that God is more powerful than our uncertainties and fears. God is more powerful than our uncertainties and fears. Look at verse 3 with me. After finding about the dry bones, God speaks and he says to Ezekiel, Son of man, can these bones live? I love the honesty of God's word. Because you'd expect in this moment, if this was fabricated or the Bible was made up, that the prophet would say, yes, Lord, I believe, I believe that you can raise these dead bones to life. That's not what he says. The man of God does not say that. Look at what he says. Oh, Lord God, you know. Only you know. I'm trusting I don't know but you know. Hesitant hope. Only you know. And think about the context. Think about who this is. Not long before, Ezekiel has just lost his wife. Now God is asking Ezekiel, do you believe that these bones can live? Can you imagine? Some of you can He's thinking about that. He's not just thinking about the nation. He's thinking about his own wife. Can the dead be really made alive? God, only you know. And in the fear and the hope, he just leans into God. It's kind of like the man and Mark, father with the demon-possessed son. Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. God, I want to believe. 
I do believe. Help my unbelief. That's where Ezekiel is in this moment. For some of us, that's where you come in today. There's things that, there are fears, there's uncertainties in your life. And I just want to encourage you, lean into God in the uncertainty and fear. Trust in the one who's strong enough. Trust in the one who's mighty to save this morning. But then God takes a step further. Verse 4, Then he said to me, Prophesy over these bones. Say to them, The Lord God says these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter you, and you shall live. So God has asked Ezekiel to do a lot of crazy things up to this point. Chop off his beard, burn some of it, stack some of it here and there, build mounds, lay on one side for all this time, slip over, all this crazy stuff. Now God is asking Ezekiel to speak to dead bones. If it doesn't get any more absurd, it's absurd now. And in this moment of fear and uncertainty, Ezekiel moves into faith and obedience. This is what God calls us to do, church. For some of you, God is doing some things in your heart and mind right now. There's things you've been praying about that they don't make sense. They don't seem to have a good strategy. It might mean loss. You're not sure what it means. But there are things that God might be calling you to do, calling you to not do, calling you to leave, calling you to take your family to. They don't make sense on paper. It doesn't add up. But God is pushing you through his word and through godly counsel and through prayer to move. And you have an opportunity to live and obey even in the fear and uncertainty. And thankfully, Ezekiel steps out in faith. So in this moment, we see that God is bigger than our uncertainty and our fears. So God is on the move. He's acting for his glory. He's bigger than the problems we face. But then kind of the key to this whole passage is that God is raising the dead to life. God is raising the dead to life. God is doing what is impossible and making it possible in this passage. And we see this laid out in several ways. So verse 7, he prophesies, as I was commanded, as I prophesied, there was a sound, behold, a rattling. The bones came together, bone to bone. And I looked, behold, there were sinews on them, and flesh came and covered them, and skin had covered them. But there was no breath in them. So God puts them back together. But they are still dead. And what does God do? God raises the dead to life. How? Through his breath. Through his spirit indwelling them. This is how God raises dead dead people to life. This is how God can raise you to life. God raises me to life through the power of his Holy Spirit. Opening our eyes to see our deadness. Placing our faith in him and the Holy Spirit coming and living within us and making us alive. It was a picture of what we got to see in the baptistry. God breathing his life, his spirit into dead bones' lives. And this word breath, it's the exact same word in breathe, exact same word used in Genesis 2. When God forms Adam out of the dirt, and Adam's there, is he alive? No. What does God do? He breathes on him the breath of life. And now God is putting these people back together, and he's breathing on them, the breath of life. This is a picture of new creation. God is beginning to reverse what has been broken, what was lost in Genesis 3 because of sin and death. God is now breathing life back into that, and it's a picture that he's going to do that for his people. He's going to raise them to life, and it's going to happen through his Spirit living within them, and that's how you and I can have life. 
that's not all that's happening here. Not only is God breathing life into those who are dead, but God is removing the curse over them. In Genesis 3, we talk a lot about the fall. And in the fall, there was a curse that was put on the serpent and the curse that was put on Eve and on Adam and all of mankind that we would be under sin, we would be under death, that there would be toil, there would be separation from God. And in this passage, the curse is being undone. Well, how do you know that? Well, here's what's happening. At the very beginning, when it talks about the dry bones, the dry bones, we've covered that a lot. In Deuteronomy chapter 28, God pronounces a potential curse on Israel. And the curse is this. If you flee me, you disobey my laws, one of the curses is that you will be overthrown. And you can go back and read. And your bones will not be buried. It's a curse given to Israel. Not only that, Ezekiel is a priest, and priests know the Levitical code. And in Leviticus, again, reading back in the story, you weren't allowed to touch dead people. You weren't allowed to be around dead people. So this is a picture of mass uncleanness and mass curse. And in God taking the deadness and putting flesh and bone and breath all together again, he's removing the curse that was on them from the very beginning. It's a picture of new creation. It's a picture of what God is going to do through Jesus Christ. That God is lifting the curse that is over us all. He's starting over again. And the moment is most hopeless. God is bringing hope to his people. Not only that, he's defeating death. He's defeating death. Look with me in verse 7, verse 8. Notice the picture here. So I prophesied there's a sound, behold a rattling. The bones came together, and look, there were sinews and flesh and skin covered them. What, what is happening here? He is reversing the decaying process. When someone dies, when something dies, what's first decay? Skin, flesh, sinews to the bone. God could have just said, prophesy, and then boom, they're there. That's not what happens. There's an order. Bone, sinew, flesh, skin. Why? It's important. It's a reversal of the decaying process. So I was in my studying this week and saw this just blew my mind. God is reversing death. The death of death is happening in Ezekiel 37. The death of death. What happened in the fall, what was laid upon mankind is now being reversed. God, who at the first death, covering Adam and Eve with clothes of animals, is now putting an end to death, a picture that death will be defeated one day through Jesus Christ. In fact, he's not the only one to see this. The prophet Isaiah says this as well. And Isaiah 25, 8 says, He will swallow up death forever. Then the Lord God will wipe away the tears from all faces and the disgrace of his people he will take away from all the earth. For the Lord has spoken. And the Apostle Paul, quoting this in 1 Corinthians 15, says, Then the saying that's written will be fulfilled. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. God is destroying death in Ezekiel 37. Hope 
is on the move. God is working for his glory. God is bigger than our uncertainties and fears. And God is raising the dead to life. That is good news. It's good news, church. If you're here in this room and you're a Jesus follower, where were you when that happened to you? Do you remember? Do you remember when your dead heart was awakened to life in Christ? And your sin of your past, the sin of your present, the sin you didn't even know you'd walk into, that God rescued you and made you alive. I do. It's nine years old. When I was younger, at seven, I prayed a prayer. I'd walked an aisle, believed in God, but I didn't understand my sin. I didn't understand my need for a Savior. I was baptized, did all those things, but I wasn't a Christian. It wasn't until a couple years later that I began to, like, after reading God's Word, to see my sin, see my need for Jesus, to see my deadness, to see my badness, to see that Jesus was the only one who could save me, and He came to rescue me, and He died my death. In that moment, God changed my heart and he moved me from death to life and spirit breathed on me and I've never been the same doesn't mean I haven't sinned doesn't mean I don't fail I fail every single day but I'm not who I was church do you remember what God has done God is making a promise to his people that he's going to do this and God has done this through Jesus Christ the end of chapter 37 Look with me in verse 24 and 25. I won't have time to read the whole thing. I would encourage you to go back, read through this section. It's a picture of what it looks like to walk in redemption, the realization of what God's going to do for those who are in Jesus Christ. If you're in Christ Jesus, these promises are true of you, should be true of you, should be working out in you, that you're part of the family of God, that people are coming to Christ in and through you and your witness. Nations are coming to see us, that we're running from sin, we're pursuing him. But look at what they say. How is all this going to happen? He tells us. He tells Ezekiel, who goes and tells the children of Israel. Verse 24, my servant David shall be king over them. Hold on. David? I thought David was dead. David is dead. But, again, we've been reading the story, we've been walking through this, there should be bells that start to go off in our head. Okay, there's a promise in 2 Samuel 7 where God comes to David and says, there's going to be a son of yours who's going to reign on an everlasting throne. He's going to be a son of David. So it's not literally David, but there's, there's a son of David that's going to come who's going to be the true king. And now God is telling Ezekiel that guy is coming. All those kings we've been reading about in 1 Kings, 2 Kings, 1 Chronicles, 2 Chronicles, they were imposters. They were phonies. They weren't the real king. But the real king is from David and the real king is coming. He shall be king over them and they shall have one shepherd. So he's not just going to be son of David. He's going to be a shepherd king. Sound like anyone else we know? Verse 25, they will dwell in the land that I gave to my servant Jacob where your fathers live and their children will be children and dwell there forever. And David, my servant, will be their prince forever. Everlasting king, son of David, shepherd for his people. You know what Ezekiel is called all throughout the book of Ezekiel? Son of man. I don't know if you've noticed that or not. Do you know what title Jesus gives to himself most often in the Gospels? Son of man. He's going to be the son of David. He's going to be the son of man. He's going to be the shepherd. But also there's a key word that's repeated twice here. 
verse 24 and verse 25, my servant. He's going to be a servant. 2 Samuel 7, in this promise to David, God tells David that this king will be a servant. A few weeks ago, we were in Isaiah. You get to Isaiah 52 and 53, and we find out that the one who's going to claim redemption for his people and carry their iniquities, he's going to be a servant. And we come here to Ezekiel 37, and it's going to be a servant of God. And then we fast forward to Mark chapter 10. Jesus is on the way to Jerusalem, on the way to the cross, on the way to the cup of the wrath of God that he's going to drink. Instead of you, instead of me, his face is set like flint toward Jerusalem. The disciples, they're arguing about who's the greatest. Mark 10, 45, Jesus says, The Son of Man has not come to be served, but to serve, to give his life. It's a ransom for many. This is how dead bones live. This is how death is going to be defeated. This is how the curse is going to be reversed. This is how the tears are going to be wiped away. This is how the new kingdom is going to come together. The new people of God will be united through this servant king who's coming. And his name is Jesus. And he's come to rescue you. He's come to rescue me. He's come to rescue people from all across the world. We will be faithful to carry the message. Dead bones made alive. Would you bow your heads with me? Father God, we thank you this morning for the opportunity to come to worship you in this place. I just pray over my friends. Pray that these truths that we've read from your word would be true for us, for them, for me, for those in this room. As you're listening to these words, you're reading these passages, these are not my words. This is God's word. Some of you, you might be here today and you might say, I am dead on the inside. I need to be raised to life. I need that. There's no hope. There's no life within me. I've gone to church my whole life, prayed prayers, I've been baptized, done all those things. That is not true of me. I need that. I want that. Friend, today, you can be saved. Today, the Spirit can breathe life into your dead bones and awaken you see the truth. You can be made alive. You can be forgiven. The Bible says that just takes two things, repent and believe. Repent is just a recognition of your sin, recognition of your brokenness, recognition of your deadness, and recognition you can't save yourself. Believing is just resting in the promise that Jesus died for you. He rose again to give you life. You placing your faith, just resting that, God, I want that, I need that, I believe that. You do that today, you can be saved. God's Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the heart of the Trinity can breathe life into you. Death being defeated in you, which will last for all eternity. If you're in this room and you are Jesus' follower, do you remember? Do you remember what He's done? Are you living in light of that church? Am I living in light of that? I don't so much of the time. I've been so convicted in the word. 
are we carrying this good news out? The end of Ezekiel 37, 28 says, and the nations will come and see this truth and know that I am God. How will they know? How will they know? Because the breath of God is alive in you and me and we share the good news. Is your life, is my life, is it a walking billboard of the gospel on display? Who are your three names? Who are you walking into life with tomorrow who is dead in their sin and needs Christ? And you have the hope. You have the cure. Will you share? Will you tell them? Will you pray for them? Will I do that? May we be the people who've been made alive, live out of that life. May we walk in faith, not by sight those who God has called us to. God, I pray, I pray over my family that you would do this in us. I pray that we would be a beacon of light to the Tri-Cities area, to our neighbors, to the nations, to the world, of people who've been made alive. And we thank you and praise you that one day our faith will be made sight, that death will be swallowed up in victory finally. We look forward to that day, but let us be faithful today. As we look to the crown, let us be faithful today to bear our cross, to share the good news. For brothers and sisters in this room who are just so weary and broken, Lord, I pray that you would breathe life back into them today. They celebrate the life they have in Christ. We love you, Father God. In your name I pray, amen.